The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the all-new AV Podcast. In this episode, we have the latest AV news. We meet the AV Play team and discuss the DVD news, the RetroFest reviews, and CGI in movies. Ian Collin and Seth Gecko visit the news from the gaming world and review Just Cause for the Xbox 360 and PC. First, we talk TV technology with Lerva. This week's, this week's Audiovisual News. In the news this time, new TVs from Sharp and Sony, a new projector from Sanyo, Microsoft announced their Zoom player, and a rather useful gadget from Carlsberg. Sharp has previewed its Aquas Full HD LCD screens due in the UK soon. Four models are featured in the brand's LC XD1E range, ranging from 37-inch models all the way up to 52 inches. The sets use 1920 by 1080 panels and can accept a 1080p native signal. All the models have a high-gloss black finish and a variety of new picture improvement technologies. The LC46XD1E and LC52XD1E will provide 4 millisecond response times and 10,000 to 1 contrast if you use the dynamic contrast enhancement mode. The smaller LC42XD1E and LC37XDE1E models have a 6 millisecond response time and 1,200 to 1 contrast. The screens also include Sharp's 4 wavelength backlight system, which includes an additional crimson red as well as the standard RGB colours. This should make for more vibrant reds and better skin tones. Freeview tuners and two HDMI inputs adorn all the models, which originate from the now 8th generation manufacturing plant in Kamiyama, Japan. Sharp has also announced the release of a twin tuner Freeview PVR in time for Christmas. The slimline TUR160H features a 160GB hard drive able to store approximately 80 hours of programs. Features include an 8-day EPG, chasing playback functionality, subtitle recording and picture-in-picture. The units will also be whisper-quiet as there's no use of internal cooling fans and will sell for approximately £250. In last week's podcast, we told you about Sony's impressive SXRD projector, the VPL VW50. And this week, the company has announced that they'll be releasing the technology in its latest line of rear projection TVs. The 55-inch A2000 and 70-inch R2000 SXRD models promise best in-class projection TV performance, courtesy of the latest iteration of Sony's Digital Reality Creation HD processing. Prices are expected to range from £2,300 to £4,000, which is considerably cheaper than competing flat screens. SXRD screens offer a large image free of any obvious grid structure for a more cinematic and natural picture quality. They'll be joined by a range of LCD micro-display projection TVs with Freeview digital tuners. Dubbed the W2000 series, they'll come in 40-inch or 46-inch screen sizes and offer 1080p resolution, a wide colour gamut backlight and two HDMI inputs for £2,000 and £2,500 respectively. Picture processing is effectively the same as that used on the company's Bravia LCD range. Video projector technology has moved at lightning pace over the last 12 months, and as more AV enthusiasts add the technology to their homes, we're standing by for some of the most technologically advanced models to date being released in the next few months. Leading the line in the budget arena is Sanyo's latest model in its Z range. The HD-ready PLV Z5 will retail at around £1,400, and at that price you'll be correct in assuming it's not 1080p. However, it does boast an impressive 1280x720 resolution with 1100 ANSI lumens and a contrast ratio of 10,000 to 1. The unit has horizontal and vertical lens shift, electronic keystone correction and twin HDMI inputs, along with a 12-bit video processor. To help minimise dust buildup, 
the PLVZ5 also features Sanyo's trademark automatic on-off slide shutter and should be a whisper-quiet 20 dB during normal operation. Microsoft has announced that November 14th will be Zoom Day. Yep, the company will be releasing its iPod-busting gadget, which will feature a 3-inch screen and ergonomic control panel, FM tuner, video playback, 30-gig hard drive, and onboard Wi-Fi for file sharing with your mates. The unit will also be available in three colours, white, black, and funky fresh 70s brown. Yes, that's right, brown. Microsoft state that new downloaded tracks will cost 79 points, just like their online live service for Xbox. And you'll be able to have access to over 2 million music tracks for $14.99 a month. Zune will also come with preloaded content, including music tracks and videos. But it's already clear that its file sharing by Wi-Fi includes very strict DRM copy protection protocols. Zune will also come in three guises with various accessories. The Home AV, Travel and Car Editions will feature docking stations, headphone splitters and car chargers respectively. There's no news as yet on a UK release, but the American version will hit the market at an impressive $249. And finally, we think we've found the ideal addition to your home cinema setup to help you enjoy your movies in style. Carlsberg has announced the £130 Draftmaster for pulling the perfect pints at home. The main feature of the unit is the built-in chiller, which makes sure that every pint you pull is super chilled and better than the local landlord could ever imagine. Each Draftmaster unit includes real plastic beer kegs, which you can buy from your local supermarket at £14 each, and are recyclable. Have Carlsberg helped us make the best home cinemas in the world? From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD News and Reviews. Welcome to the New Look AV Podcast DVD News and Reviews. Seth Gecko is on hand to talk us through this week's big DVD and HD news, and we'll also introduce you to the AV Play Review Team, who'll be here every week to discuss what DVDs and HD DVDs they have reviewed. And we'll also be giving away a copy of Party of Five Complete Season 1 on Region 2 DVD, courtesy of Sony. But first, it's Seth Gecko with the news. Hello, Seth. Hi there, Phil. Well, the big news this week is that Universal have announced two more HD DVDs for December. We have Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams, and we also have the Hulk movie by Ang Lee. And this was originally scheduled for November, but it's been bumped to December the 12th, um, which is good news because it at least comes out in time for Christmas, and it should look really good. And what's the specs on that one? Well, the Hulk is going to have the standard 1080p transfer, um, it will have Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 soundtrack in English, French and Spanish, which is good for multilingual people. It will also have virtually all the same extras as the previous 2-disc DVD edition. So basically that includes the commentary with Ang Lee, you're going to get the Hulk cam, the deleted scenes, the dogfight scene, basically everything that you had in the original 2-disc DVD is going to be on this HD disc. And as if flying these days was not without its hazards, I understand the Samuel L. Jackson thriller, Snakes on a Plane, is due as well. Yeah, this B-movie, come um, A-movie now, uh, is coming out by New Line Home Entertainment on the 2nd of January in 2007. Um, it has lots of extras. We're going to have a commentary track from Samuel L. Jackson, which should be absolutely brilliant to listen to. And the soundtrack is going to be in Dolby Digital 5.1 EX and DTS 6.1. So, a really good disc. New Line Home Entertainment are usually very good when it comes to extras. Good presentation and very good soundtracks on their titles. Now, I'm a big Michael Mann fan, and uh, I can't wait to see his uh, reinterpretation of Miami Vice. I understand that's coming in December. Absolutely. We're going to have two DVD releases and an HD DVD release of that movie on the 5th of December. There will be two different editions on DVD, which will be a theatrical cut and a director's cut. The HD DVD is going to be a combo disc with the theatrical cut uh, as a standard uh, DVD release on one side, and the high-def version will be the director's cut. The good news about the HD um, version is it will have a true HD soundtrack, so that should be great for any fan of the movie. 
Also released in November, we are getting Woody Allen Scoop. This is the second collaboration he's had with Scarlett Johansson, and probably won't be the last if we're lucky. The bad news is, unfortunately, it didn't get as good critical acclaim as his previous collaboration, which was Matchpoint, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, it will be good to see what Scoop's like, uh, but as a DVD, Woody Allen doesn't like doing Dolby Surround soundtracks. It's going to be strictly more no, so it's definitely not going to be something you're going to want to show off your system on. So tell us a bit about the movie then, Seth. Well, Johansson plays a college journalist who stumbles onto a, a string of murders, which leads her to Hugh Jackman's character. Now, she's won over with his charm and goes for a whirlwind romance with him, effectively. But, obviously, he could be a murderer, so is it going to be uh, a killer, or is it going to be a romance, and so on and so forth? It should keep audiences guessing up until the last minute, but that never happens. And also talking about fit young female actresses, I understand that Anna Hathaway is also back on DVD. Yeah, that's right. In December, we're going to see The Devil Wears Prada with Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep in it. Critically acclaimed and based on a best-selling novel, this has actually done very well in the box office in America. It comes out uh, this Friday on cinema, so why not wait a month or so, pick up the DVD and uh, enjoy. And rounding off, um, an excuse for a comedy. Yes, unfortunately, uh, You, Me and Dupree is also coming out in November. Uh, the movie stars Matt Dillon, uh, Owen Wilson and Kate Hudson. I like Kate Hudson as much as the next man. Um, she was brilliant in The Skeleton Key, but Owen Wilson, it's the same old shtick for me. Um, if it's your thing, grab it. If not, avoid like the plague and that'll be me. And to wrap up, we have a copy of Party of Five on Region 2 DVD courtesy of Sony Pictures to give away. So Seth, just give us a quick rundown on Party of Five. Well basically it's an American show. Um, it's based around five siblings who are left to fend for their own um, when their parents have been killed by a drunk driver. The show effectively just deals with their struggles of raising each other and life in general. So to win a copy of Party of Five on Region 2 DVD, that's the whole first season, just answer this simple question. Name the Party of Five actress who starred with Courtney Cox in the film Scream. Email your answer, along with your name and address, to podcast at avforums.com. The competition closes at midnight on the 12th of October 2006, and full details and terms and conditions can be found on the podcast forum at avforums.com. And that's your DVD news. This week's Roundtable Discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. In this new format for the AV Forums podcast, every week we'll have our DVD reviewers from AV Play introducing discs that they've reviewed for the website. This week, we want to introduce you to the AV Play reviewers team. So, from left to right, we have... Hi, my name's Kaz Harlow, and I'm a reviewer for AV Play. Hi, I'm Seth Gecko. Hi, I'm uh, Chris McInerney. I'm a reviewer for AV Play. Hi, I'm Simon Crust. I'm a reviewer for AV Play, and I'm also responsible for the Region 1 News. So that's our review team. So what are we going to talk about this week? One of our reviewers, Chris McInerney, has been taking us on a retro fest recently, which has included vintage horror and sci-fi classics. So, Chris, explain to us a little bit more about the retro fest. Well, the retro fest for me is um, certainly a labour of love because... I simply adore these movies. I grew up with the horror double bill on BBC Two, which introduced me to the, the things like Frankenstein, all the universal monster mashes, and it gave me like an undying love for them, really. And I think in this day and age, with the sheer amount of CGI clagfests which are coming along, it'd be nice to remind people of where this genre, sci-fi, horror, really came from. So which films have you included? Well, so far we've got I mean, there was a few from last year which were actually my favourites, which were The Thing from Another World, Them, and Night of the Demon. But lately I've been adding stuff like um, The Old Dark House, Boris Karloff, The Innocents, The Haunting, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original one, The Time Machine has just gone on, and forthcoming will be Frankenstein, James Whale's original, the one that started it all from 1931, the original Frankenstein, in its 75th anniversary edition. So why should people be interested in reading these reviews then? Uh, well, because I think there's, there's new generations now which really, they've heard of these movies, 
but they and they've got no real idea what they, what they were like. They've got a suspicion they're probably hokey old, you know, bad special effects, very over overblown, dramatic, almost operatic acting styles, and they're black and white. People these days have a sort of abhorrence to to black and white movies, and there's a lot more to them than what than, than they think. So as I say, it's a labour of love for myself, but also to explore what made these films the classics that they are and the influence that they've had ever since because it is ongoing and how many films do you think we will manage to cover under the the banner of the retro fest uh, well that's that's where it gets a bit weird because retro could you know obviously the 1930s 40s 50s they're obviously the retro stuff the classic vintage movies but as we as we move on in time the 70s have become retro even the 80s you know they're still there a long time ago now aren't they so it could just go on and on and on but I would like to keep it to sort of the the golden era that the, my main idea behind it was to find the movies themselves that broke the mold or created a whole subgenre or just were groundbreaking in their own way but by via their themes or the stories their depiction of, of the particular stories and you know basically the ones I like best, I suppose. So, Kaz, do you think that people are just being weaned on CGI effects these days from Hollywood and that these old films may not appeal to them in uh, the same way because the special effects were uh, done on set or, or done by different means other than in the computer? I think that there's a time and place for CGI and uh, the next generation has appeared to have been brought up spoilt by it. We look back over the years and we had even things like Bond, which was uh, classic for always having the latest record-breaking stunt in it. Um, and then over the years it's progressed and now we just get CGI, CGI invisible cars, CGI iceberg skating. It's, it just looks ridiculous. And I think that there, there is a time and a place. There are things that we are incapable of doing using uh, real people and um, that it should be respected in that use. But when you put CGI in unnecessarily, and particularly when it's noticeable, it just spoils a film. It's entirely unnecessary. Obviously, there's going, there's going to be examples within certain films where you don't actually realise that CGI is being used. And I think a good example of that would be something like Fight Club. A lot of those scenes, a lot of the backgrounds didn't exist, a lot of the foregrounds didn't exist until they were put into the computer, yet watching it, you wouldn't know that, would you? No, I completely agree. CGI used in the right time and place is just superb. CGI which goes unnoticed is brilliant. But when you see a film where the majority of it isn't CGI and then you see a particularly, particular fight move or a particular scene um, where the main character has otherwise been C uh, normal and then all of a sudden he's CGI, it, it looks pretty ridiculous and it's... It, takes away from the, the seriousness of perhaps the rest of the movie. Uh, the prime example I can think of is, um, I remember when I saw Blade 2, and there's a, there's a lot of actual martial arts in it, and then there's one horrendous scene, which is just CGI, and Blade is skipping around like Spider-Man on acid. I suppose a lot has to be said about these old horror retro movies, where a lot of the time the effects weren't actually seen on screen, but... It was a build-up of tension and, and using other techniques. And to bring in another example, we have Spielberg's Jaws. Now, the shark, Bruce the Shark, was supposed to feature far more in the movie. However, due to technical problems, that wasn't the case. And it, it wasn't until the actual last third of the movie that the big rubbery shark appeared. Yet, the film is an absolute classic in... in building up tension and building up uh, a rapport between the characters. So I'll put this one to Seth. Do you think we're, we're losing that in movies these days because the reliance now is, well, I can do it in the computer, so I'm just going just gonna to shove something on screen now? There is a lot of that with um, most of the movies these days. If you even look at things like uh, Texas Chainsaw, where, the, say, the gore isn't necessary, it's all psychological, um, the same could be said for the horror genre, that we're more bloodthirsty. With science fiction movies and fantasy movies, we're more geared for CGI effects than the man in a rubber suit. On the other side of the coin, as Cass um, was saying, there are movies that it, it, it would not work with otherwise. Um, the Crow, you know, Brandon Lee dying, um, they had to use CGI there. Things even more current, such as Sky Captain, which were virtually all CGI. How you can really get away with some of the things they did there, or even though it was uh, a homage to Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. But then you take something like 
the Star Wars trilogy, the 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 first three, as in Phantom Menace, etc., and they are complete CGI fests. The problem is, is you you want to attack them more than anything else because of their CGI, um, mostly because the narrative is so poor that you're looking at it and thinking the story doesn't hold up, the scenes don't hold up, and the special effects are really apparent. And so it's just bombarding it with criticism after criticism because it just falls apart. It's been mentioned before when CGI is invisible, in fact it's used in uh, backgrounds and things, then yes, I think it's a good thing. When you start relying on that, it's almost as if the scripting becomes second. The director's vision is brought forward in what you could imagine you can put on screen. Gollum is, is, is a good example because he doesn't exist and um, Andy Serkis, he, they, they used his um, motion capture, isn't it? They, they, they used all his motion capture movements so it looked almost real. He sat in the frame. But if you go back, Seth was talking about Star Wars. Originally Yoda was a puppet and it looked good. He was a practical effect. He was there. People reacted to it and everything was fine and dandy and he was one of the uh, major characters. Fast forward uh, 20 years, he's now a CGI character, bouncing around, jumping all over the place. And uh, I think if you ask most people, he looked uh, quite ridiculous, especially when he was jumping around all over the place. So it's, it's, uh, it's something we're going to have to live with, I think. Someone mentioned you, you react better, Simon, you react better to a practical effect. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the, probably the greatest movie for practical effects and it really pushed the boundaries is John Carpenter's um, epic remake of The Thing. Everything was there on screen. There was no CGI involved in that. There are plenty of visual effects, I'll give you that. But Rob Bottin's effects, they were there. The people reacted to those effects. They are still stomach-chained. They are still mind-bogglingly effective even today. Now, should you have made that nowadays with CGI and when the inevitable sequel or is it going to be a prequel comes out, Bad idea, by the way, I think. They're going to be obviously be using lots of CGI. And there may be like a fair bit of eye candy floating around, but it's not going to be the same, is it? We're, we're so used to CGI. We're so used to the over-the-top CGI clagfests of particularly Stephen Summers, Van Helsing, anybody. But the thing, again, and the, the effects of the early 80s, where the, the prosthetics, the latex, was really coming to its own. You know, even now, they still, their head and shoulders above the CGI that you see now. Subtle effects, for example, Switchblade Romance or Hote Tension, I think it's called in its native land. Uh, there's a throat slitting in that sequence, in, in that film, which is pure CGI, but it's absolutely, it's subtly done, gory, but subtle and very, very effective. So again, when CGI is used properly, um, and it isn't the be-all and end-all, wow, look at this effect we can, we can do here, we can transform the screen for you, we can do all this for you. It, bec it becomes nauseating to watch, but when it's done properly, in its place, it's a tool that can be used very, very effectively. So guys, just to wrap everything up, um, and obviously we've been talking about movies which started it all off for us, so um, starting with Kaz, just tell us which movie started everything off for you and what your favourite movie is. Well, oddly enough, I think it probably was Kurosawa's Seven Samurai that started this whole uh, interest in films for me and probably led me to where I am today. Um, I still love all of his classics. But uh, in recent times, and you always have to go with the, probably the best films you've seen recently, my favourite of the last few years has got to be Sin City. I just absolutely love it. It's a tremendous script, it's tremendous acting and a brilliant use of effects. And Chris, what about you? Uh, well... My actual earliest memory um, is of watching a movie. It was actually They Die With Their Boots On, Errol Flynn playing General Custer, biting the big one at the little bighorn. And I, I remember the film. I, I love the film even now. Um, but that, maybe the imagery, the storytelling, whatever it was, it hooked me on movies. Um, and from that point onwards, I was an absolutely avid, almost obsessive, well, I am obsessive, uh, movie buff. As everyone knows, it's quite well documented, my favourite film, possibly of all time, is, uh, is Gladiator. Um, it, there's just so much to that movie which uh, kind of sums me up as well. Not that I've ever fought in the arena. It hooked me right from the way I go, and there's something totally epic about that film. And we'll move on to Seth. Seth, what was your, uh, the movie that started it all off for you, and what was your favourite? Oh, the first movie I remember watching, it was a double bill. I can't honestly remember the first one. But unfortunately, I have to admit that it was Warlords of Atlantis with Doug McClure. Um, 
which is really embarrassing. Um, and I, I just, I have a strange, bizarre, fond memories of it. Um, I, don't, I have no idea why. Um, favorite movie, uh, Seven. It's just such a, a wonderfully crafted thriller. Um, it's got a cracking soundtrack on DVD. Um, and like life, it doesn't end on a happy note. And finally, Simon. Um, I would think my favourite film of all time would have to be um, the 1921 version of Nosferatu, simply because it is film at its best. I just think it's the best horror film with everything going for it. The fact that it's black and white and silent means nothing. The film itself is just magnificent. So, okay, that's your AV Play review team. You've all met them now, and they'll be here every week with the latest DVD reviews. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. This is the AV Podcast. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecker. Hi, this is Ian Collin. Hi, this is Seth Gecko. And this is this week's gaming news and reviews. The big news this week came from Microsoft's backslapping X06 event, where Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame will be joining forces with Microsoft on an all-new Halo project. Peter Jackson's already attached to the movie of Halo, so what kind of game is it? Halo 3 or something else? Um, yeah, he's an executive producer for the new Halo movie. He's not directing it himself, um, but he is an acknowledged big fan of the series. But what he's doing, it's not going to be Halo 3, Halo 4. It's an all-new, brand-new concept, an all-new Halo game that he'll be overseeing based on his own personal love for the genre. So have they actually announced if it's going to be a first-person shooter or a strategy game, or is it just very much under wraps? It's very much, this is Peter Jackson, we're going to be working with him, look how great we are. So no specific details have been given on the game, but you kind of expect it is going to be along the same kind of level, the same kind of playability as with the current Halo games but you're just hoping a little bit of a visual flair, a little bit of creativity from Peter Jackson. So basically huge bragging rights for Microsoft and uh, big two fingers to Sony. It was a very big yeah, backslapping event, it was like hey we're great, look at us we've got Peter Jackson, big pictures of the hairy fella together, we're great and there was also a nice few put downs for Sony as well um, where Peter Moore, the Xbox boss of Microsoft was just saying yeah, well, look at our Xbox 360. We got that released and packaged on, packaged on time. And, um, yeah, a few other jibes to Sony along the way, which is, well, for Xbox fans, is always quite pleasing. Well, staying with the uh, X06 show, it was announced that Take-Two Interactive are actually going to keep the Bioshock game as an exclusive for 360 and PC owners, which, again, is a huge two fingers to Sony. Okay, I'm not a big Bioshock fan. I don't know very much about it. What, what sort of game is it? Well, it's another th- uh, 3D game, first person, um, very much in the vein of System Shock on the PC and System Shock 2, obviously. So if you're into those kind of cerebral puzzle, shoot 'em up kind of games in three dimensions, huge title. Sounds like something that kind of lends itself more towards PC than console. Do you think that'll work on the Xbox 360? I don't see that there's going to be any major issues with the 360 version. If you think about it, a lot of the 3D shoot-em-ups that are out there already, such as Quake, um, Doom, which is on the Xbox itself, Project Zero, all lend themselves very well to that format. I really don't see that being an issue. Up next, again, we're kind of knocking Sony a little bit here, but another another little dent in their armor, so to speak is that um, the new Grand Theft Auto game coming out next year, which has always been Sony's plaything, um, and the Xbox version is generally a port of it. But it's been announced that um, the new version, the game coming out next year, supposedly the 19th of October, but it's one of those dates which you can always add two, three months on this early, it will have two chapters of exclusive content purely for the Xbox 360 you can download through Xbox Live. Well, I've never been a Grand Theft Auto fan, um, so... I hope that they're going to do something that's uh, not rap music and shoot people away, because that kind of leaves me cold. Has there been any indication that they're going to innovate the title? Probably not. I think it might just be a case of more of the same, but it's bigger, better, bolder. You've got more bikes, more vehicles. You can jump out of planes. You can do loads of great things. But what they haven't done, they haven't said too much about what the actual content will be. The, The material for the Xbox 360 is going to be downloadable. So what kind of quality we're going to be looking at, I don't know. But at least it's something original for the Xbox 360 so that Xbox fans can say this bit of GTA is ours. 
So effectively, nice downloadable bolt-on content, and obviously they can add more as and when if they want to. Yes, very much the case. Just a final point whilst on the subject of Xbox Live downloadable um, content. That they've announced that Doom, the original Doom, you know, the classic as it was uh, first-person shooter, the, the very old version we're talking about here, is now downloadable via Xbox Live. For the bargain price of 800 Microsoft points, um, you can get the full game, including uh, single-player, two-player co-op, and four-player deathmatch games. Okay, well, we've got um, stuff moving from the Xbox 360 onto the PlayStation coming up, but one thing which I really like the idea of, which works the other way, is finally Guitar Heroes 2 is going to be on the Xbox 360. It's now okay for Xbox fans to say they love Guitar Heroes, which was awesome on the PlayStation, and now we're going to have it on the 360, and it's going to be truly beautiful. So will we be getting the guitar plug-in? Oh yeah, it's all about the big guitar, man. You can't have Guitar Heroes without that big huge... I think they call it the Explorer Guitar Controller. It's just... it's massive. I mean... It takes a bit of getting used to because you've got the buttons on the the top of it, and it's it was really really weird. But once you got the hang of it, oh, it's it's beautiful to play. So have they announced any actual songs yet for it? Because I mean, I, Jimmy Page, Stairway to Heaven, has got to be on there for all budding guitarists. Oh, it's all going to be rumours and talk, and there's going to be this song, and they want this song. But um, no word at all on what's going to be on the list. I mean, the list from the first one was quite funky, so you're thinking that there's going to be a lot lot more tunes. And of course, Xbox, you'll be able to download content, I'm sure. Get regular updates, get all the latest and greatest tunes. Just as long as there's not any teen garbage up there. I don't, <laughs> think, you're gonna, I don't think McFly is going to work too well on Guitar Heroes. It's also good to see that uh, Microsoft and developers are getting behind uh, the Xbox 360 with more innovative um, hardware. That's one of the things that Nintendo are priding themselves on the Wii console. Yeah, it's always been a weak thing for, for Xbox, is that it's just... Here's your controller, here's a first-person shooter, go play. But um, I think Peter Moore, the head of uh, Xbox for Microsoft, he's, he's kind of mentioned to one or two people that uh, it's something that they're looking to get into, a few more different angles, you know, a little bit of innovation somewhere within the game. So, you know, this is step one. Hopefully there'll be more developments coming up. So, other than the innovative guitar, and we're just hoping now that Microsoft see the infinite wisdom of bringing out a gun controller so we can play House of the Dead, Anything else coming from the X06 co uh, event? Well, the one thing which somebody's been, or everybody's kind of been waiting for, I mean, the announcement, everybody knows that the new high-definition DVD drive is going to be coming out. Um, but what they finally announced is the price, which is something which is obviously going to be quite important to a lot of people. Um, £129 is the bargain price that it'll set you back. Whether you really need that added to your Xbox is up to you. £129, not a bad price. But they're bundling that with King Kong the movie, so another Peter Jackson link there. And there's also rumours that initially they said, oh, it's only going to be for movies. But they're now saying, oh, we can actually do games now. Yeah, I think that's one of the ideas that they're looking for. They're, I mean, they're already planning on introducing uh, more high-definition content. Whether that's going to play into developers working games to, to offer more to high-definition screens, to high-definition players... Um, but yeah, I think we need to wait and see till you know we see some developers making a real go of it and see what kind of quality can come out of it. So, steering away from news for a second, have you been playing anything exciting this week, Ian? Uh, always, but my game of the week has been Just Cause. Just the, um, Cause? Yeah, it's another GTA wannabe. Um, but, you know, it's something a, a little bit different. It's one of those, it's got the big, huge, free-roaming environment. You could steal vehicles, you could do 101 amazing things, shoot random strangers run over people in cars just if that's what you want to get your kicks out of doing. Um, yeah, it's kind of more of the same, but um, I don't know, it doesn't have the same kind of effect as GTA does. It's kind of got a, I don't know, it seems a little bit more reckless, a little bit more unrealistic, as if it doesn't really care about having some kind of serious theme. It's just all about having a massive environment. Um, what is it? It's like 250,000 acres um, of land that this game is spread across. It's just, it's amazing. It's huge, but doesn't necessarily make it a great game, but I like it. I thought it was great. You've been playing that on the Xbox 360. Um, I've been playing that game, funnily enough, on the PC, and yes, it is very much like Grand Theft Auto. Um, it is huge and vast. Graphically, I wasn't impressed on the PC, and I had everything maxed out at uh, 1280 by 1024, and I thought it was very 
basic looking in comparison to other titles. I wasn't that struck, like I said I'm not a GTA fan, although I think that it, because of the storyline, even though it was a, uh, it's an assassination of somebody, an overthrow of the government, etc. Um, gameplay, storyline-wise, much stronger. Well, I was the other way. I, I had complete disregard for the plot whatsoever. So, basically a big thumbs up from you? Um, yeah, it's a moderate thumbs up because it can be very tedious. It's great fun, but obviously 250,000 acres, that's a lot of travelling around to be done. So it's, yeah... So a lot of walking around with sharp, hardcore bursts of excitement thrown in. Well, but for me, like I said, it was basically very much been there, done that, seen it before. Um, wasn't overly impressed with the graphics, so if I was to score it, I would only give it, say, 5 out of 10. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Okay, I was Ian Collin. And I'm still Seth Gecko. And that was this week's Gaming News and Reviews. The AV Podcast Gadget of the Week. This week has been a crazy gadget week for me as I visited New York's Next Fest. Next Fest is a show that happens, I think it's every year, but it might be every two years uh, in the States. Uh, I went to the last one, which was in Chicago. And as far as I'm concerned, and bearing in mind that this is coming from someone who goes to all the big tech shows from CS to CBIT, it really is the best of the bunch. It's small, about the size of, say, Grand Designs Live, i.e. a lot smaller than something like the uh, Ideal Home Exhibition. So it's quite a small show. But what's most interesting about it is that it draws on the talent from the world's leading universities and research departments rather than products that have already gone to market. So what you end up seeing is the realisation of some truly creative ideas that haven't had the... uh, you know, the kind of um, stuffing kicked out of them by marketeers who want to make them ready for a mass market. If I was to pick one theme from this year's Next Fest uh, that most impressed me, it's to, uh, what, what I would call physical gaming. I think we're about to go into a, a new era of physical gaming, and I'm not just talking about the release of Nintendo Wii, which is obvious you know, uh, in its physicality, with the wireless, hand, the wireless controller that they've got with it. I'm talking about um, a game that I play called Mob Zombies, for example, which was created by its user on a very, very small slab-based Veo, so, you know, the equivalent of a kind of Gizmondo or PSP device. And he'd hotwired a digital compass and accelerometer onto this device. So, with a top-down view being chased by zombies, rather than moving your D-pad to escape and play the game, you actually run around... I mean, you could play this thing in the middle of a park and sprint to get away from the zombies, then turn around to engage them. Uh, It measures your speed. Your character on screen reacts to your acceleration. If you slow down or go backwards, if you turn right or left, it does that. And I I just think it's, it's... it's kind of where gaming's been going. You know, we've kind of stopped at the um, at the joypad, if you like, or the mouse and keyboard. And this, for me, certainly in commercial terms, is where gaming has got to go. And if nothing else, Nintendo Wii and you know the obvious peripherals that uh, PS3 will doubtless bring with it are going to do uh, great things to bring on this whole new physical gaming age. There was a sit down and paddle canoe game where the water was actually projected onto the floor as well as in front of you that was extremely realistic and some really innovative and physical uses of display mediums like a kind of lycra projector screen where you could manipulate video you know send it backwards or forwards pause it morph shapes in a particular film by actually squeezing your hand into the screen so some really cool stuff Another area of, of particular interest to me at this year's Next Fest was robotics. There was an extremely realistic Japanese woman uh, who's kind of the mannequin of the future. So she doesn't just wear clothes. She moves around in them and does kind of various kind of Tai Chi moves and talks to you and tells you about the clothes, what, you know, what speed and temperature you're supposed to wash them on, how they feel, what kind of situations they're best for, whether they're kind of sportswear, which I thought was really cool, if only for the fact that you had to blink twice when you were even, you know, three inches from this woman's face because she looked so realistic. Her skin, I believe, was silicon, and that was really impressive. And also in the world of ro- robotics was a new development from a guy that brought you Croino. You can see Croino on my blog. I've actually got a video of it from the previous Next Fest that I went to a couple of years ago. Croino is a very small robot about the size of a small kid's teddy bear, uh, but he's extremely agile 
to the extent that he can do handstands and almost do real-time breakdancing moves. And it's almost eerie to watch this thing move around on a table. It feels like something from the film AI. And I just loved that when I first saw it. And now the same designer, whose name I forget, has actually developed a female companion for Croino, who is who's also incredibly agile, but, but much more graceful. So there you are, a brief glimpse into what I've been doing this week. Uh, loads more filming for The Gadget Show on Channel 5 in the UK coming up uh, in the next few weeks. And uh, I'll tell you about that in the next podcast. The AV Podcast Interview of the Week with Phil Hinton. For this week's AV Podcast interview, we speak to Kevin from Lerva, best known for the designer TVs. I started by asking Kevin the history behind Lerva. All right, that's uh, that's quite easy, and it's uh, quite an exciting thing to actually be able to explain, because the good thing about uh, Lerva is that Lerva, um, I don't know if your uh, readers or listeners are, uh, are aware, is one of the oldest consumer companies uh, in Europe. They actually started in uh, 1928, uh, producing um, effectively valves for radio uh, receivers, which then branched into TVs. Um, they were actually a mass producer um, in the, the 30s of uh, radio receivers, and they were very much as a German company. Um, they actually produced more than a million uh, radio receivers per year during the 30s, so again, they were a volume manufacturer. Um, uh, unlucky for the the, the the people that started the company, but there were uh, there were uh, Jewish brothers um, who started the company, and of course they lost the business. Um, uh, during that time, the two brothers uh, moved to America, uh, where they spent the, the early 40s um, looking at, at television. And after the war, they came back into Germany, into Berlin, and picked up um, what was left of their company. Uh, at that time, like, very little. The apparently the story goes that they went on a train and they uh, ended up in Bavaria uh, at a small town called Kronach. Um, and the reason that they stopped there was that they, at that time, key the business plan and the mass production of televisions was a, a key component was wood. Um, obviously, it was kind of wooden cabinets, so they stopped there. And they've been there ever since. Uh, if you go to Kronach now, it's, um, I'm sure there's uh, nearly every a family in Kronach has had some member of the family sometime working the liver, so it's a significant employer in the area. Uh, in fact, as far as the UK goes, um, Liver have been present here uh, since 1992, and they've been under the effectively the the control of ourselves, um, and we are um, it's called Linsight, and we are a subsidiary of uh, Lin, who are uh, one of the UK's formidable uh, foremost audio, video, and uh, performance suppliers. So um, we, we, we've been here. Uh, I've been, um, in my position as um, Director of Sales and Marketing, um, I've been supporting the Louisville brand since the first TV we brought into the UK. Uh, my personal background is that I'm an electronics design engineer. Um, I designed Lynn's first range of digital audio products. So, so as well as being a sales and marketing guy, I'm a bit of a, a technology freak, as I say. Our main focus is for Lerva. Lerva is, is clearly that we've got a premium player in the market. Um, we we put ourselves in the market as as not as a as a luxury player, and and I, and I put that in a luxury term is usually associated with price. You know, um, we um, we we're not buying all, so we don't aim to be at that end of the market. Where we aim to be is we aim to offer discerning customers a performance oriented design product at a premium price. And what I mean by that is that we 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 know to be successful, not only do we have to deliver products that are stylish, uh, look fantastic, uh, use um, real materials, but we know we have to deliver the latest technologies in our products. So with a little bit of what you get is you get cutting edge style and design, but you also get the latest technology. So that's where we aim for in the marketplace. Looking at the market, it's it's changing at quite a pace at the moment, and it has been for the last few years. And the big hot potato at the moment is HD uh, yeah. technology. Now we see that there's there's two camps at the moment with Blu-ray and HD DVD. How do you see that progressing at the moment? I think it's what again one of these unfortunate situations that happens in our, our market is really the consumer electronics market is really the only place that really happens usually and, it, and as the end result of usually what it does is it puts people off from 
um, being early adopters of these new technologies. Um, I'm sure that both of the, the technologies of Blu-ray and HD DVD, um, they, they have, both of them have, have things going for them in their own technology. But as far as a consumer goes, they, um, it's a very confusing place to be. I've just returned last week, I was a week at the Cedia um, Expo in Denver, and and really the, the most surprising thing for me was that um, they really everybody was downplaying the, the format there, um, even in the trade. Um, it's a kind of wait and see uh, kind of policy. Um, when you see the product and you see the output for the product, it's fantastic. When you read the marketing material, again, fantastic. It seems to be able to meet some of the market needs. But in practice, um, consumers are put off by diverging formats, and what they were looking for is uh, effectively as a multiplay format, you know, a format, a player that plays both formats. So I suspect we'll have to wait a bit of time for for that, but in the meantime, I think that uh, Blu-ray and HD DVD are going to be a bit of a slow burner, you know. And yourself as as, as a company, um, do you have any preferences to which technology you think you'll adopt? Um, <laughs> I think from from our perspective, we're looking at a roadmap next year. And, and, and early last year, we we had roadmapped um, HD, um, well, we roadmapped Blu-ray devices into our uh, product sales plan. Um, now we have taken a more wait and see approach, and we have removed that uh, next year. So during 2007, we don't see uh, Lever being in the um, the uh, external high definition playback recorder market. We're going to wait and see. HD TV has also hit the UK in the last year um, yeah. with Sky HD um, launching its service. Have you had any issues with the HD decoder and your TVs? I think that when you, uh, again, uh, I took a, a course last week, uh, was on digital and HD video distribution and um, everybody has, uh, unfortunately, and it has a, has, a, has a good laugh when the, 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 it's mentioned about HDMI, you know, and um, basically, the format is again another format um, that, and in, in, uh, technically, in theory, sounds fantastic. In practice, again, a lot of problems with it. Um, we've we took part, uh, we took part in effectively a Sky um, HD kind of plug fest. We were invited down, and we took some products along, and we uh, tested them against various suppliers of um, Sky HD boxes, and uh, we are fortunate to. That we 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 haven't um, had many problems associated with that. Now, I won't say many problems. You'll always get compatibility issues when you put any sources and marry up to any displays. But likely straight HDMI to HDMI, very little. Where we have seen issues has been uh, people using converters, you know, DVI to HDMI's and inverter cables and adapters. And again, because of the there's not a lot of understanding out there about. Um, what the format is and how standard the format is, um, then you can get some some general issues. But I would say far fewer than um, we expected. However, when you have no control over the, the cable types that go between the rise and fall times, the qualities, um, uh, the bandwidth of these cables, um, then you get problems. So it really, as I suspect, what the lessons learned is that the specification wasn't uh, wasn't tight enough um, for the general market, but for us, um, very few problems. We also took part in the last six, eight weeks in a, an equivalent plug fest for NTL and Telewest, and um, it seemed to come through. And, and, the, and to be fair, uh, the manufacturers of these boxes and the suppliers uh, are aware that the potential is out there for real problems, and they're doing their best to try and ensure that there is compatibility between uh, the major display partners and the set-top box manufacturers. Do you see Sky HD as being a, a platform to sell HD material to the general public? I think if you're talking about the general public, I, I do believe that um, as the market goes, and obviously for any HD material, that the really where you see that you bigger benefits as the screen sizes get bet, uh, bigger, uh, until... Uh, it becomes, uh, I, I believe, uh, free to air terrestrial. I, I think it's still going to be pretty niche. You know, when you go to the states, or the states again, as I said last week, there's free to air HD content. Naturally, with that type of picture quality improvement you get there, naturally you get a pull on by the consumer. But I think until um, until it becomes, other some material becoming free to air, I do believe that it will be a a nice niche. 
uh, for the providers. It's a, it's a fantastic tool for uh, retailers to show the capability of of the sets. But I think in terms of end users, uh, the consumer, I still think it will be a small niche market until we get some free-to-air um, HD content. Your company is famous for its TVs. Can you just tell us a bit about your current range? Yeah. I mean, we have... Well, the one thing about Louisville is that um, we don't design to uh, effectively price points or the, uh, in terms of that kind of marketing. What we have is we've got a real clear view on um, uh, our consumer and um, we target, you know, maybe about six different consumer types within that and we deliver to them products that try and meet their needs. Um, and again, when you're looking at um, our range, which currently at the moment has a, a product called the Spheros line, which is a product for real perfectionists, it's, um, it's the real uh, no-holds-barred lever, um, as real uses um, real materials. And, and what I mean by that is that, for example, at um, the Spheros range of products, we have um, um, real glass filter screens now. Filter screens uh, do two things. They not only act as a simple protection medium for an LCD display, but they move the colour temperature um, of the displays uh, to be more blue. And um, uh, in the spectrum blue, your eye perceives that as sharpness, and sharper pictures are things that, generally speaking, people can um, they can watch for longer, so it's more relaxing on the eye. So we use we use real technology. It's not only just about the design; it's about the application of good technology. Um, a clear, um, a huge product for us um, this year and, and been very, very successful is the individual range of products. And I, again, it's a product that effectively, rather than buying and living around, you use a product that you configure to, to the way that you want to live, um, not only in terms of the colour. There's five body colours uh, on the TV, but you can choose from nine uh, infill pieces uh, all the way from uh, ebony's to woods and uh, trend colours. Um, we even have a tie-up with um, Swarovski and we do one which is called the Individual Edition, uh, Limited Edition and it's got Swarovski crystals uh, in, the, in the product. So we, we do products that are very tailored. Um, the, 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 the way that you as a consumer would maybe purchase a little is, is a bit more like uh, perhaps buying a car where uh, you can have a a standard car, and then you can make the product uh, fit your needs. Uh, all of the TVs are over the 32-inch in the, the Zelos individual spheres range um, can be supplied with a hard disk recorder uh, fitted inside the TV. Um, they can supply the different colours. Uh, they can be supplied with different uh, uh, table stand options and floor stand options. Um, mechanical, motorised. So we are a company that tries to um, meet the needs of individuals. And it's very difficult when we're in the general consumer market, which tends to, tends to mean that every product is very similar and, you know, you go for volume. Uh, Lovers, although we are a, a reasonable sized company, we we deal with kind of discerning customers. We, we want to deal with customers who are thinking about their purchase, who are making choices. And if you make choices, then we're the type of brand that you should consider. Which future TV technologies do you see yourselves working with? I mean, will you go down the the, the lines of OLD, SED, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think we are clearly roadmapped at, at the moment into um, the, the 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 LCD marketplace at the moment. Now, Lerva is really a company that's kind of um, technology neutral, and what I mean by that, over the last three years, we've supplied um, CRT. We've supplied uh, rear projection DLP TVs, we've supplied LCD, and we've supplied plasma. So where the technology um, uh, offers a, an advantage uh, in terms of application, then, then we, we would use that. Um, I think, think certainly for the next couple of years, it's, um, LCD has got a lot of um, value for the general television market. But again, we would never say no. If, te if technology comes along, that um, certainly we could deliver a lot of TV, but then we would have a go at it. When do you see 1080p technology becoming the standard within the industry? Do you think it's it's going to be a niche market, or do you think it'll be uh, a progression where most new TVs will be 1080p compatible? Uh, I, I, again, it's, I believe this is a little... Um, it's something that the trade uh, and the consumers will find, I believe, 
difficult to understand. Um, the, the transmission standards, as you know, has been have been set at 720p and 1080i. Um, there's no doubt that having a, a TV with a native resolution um, higher than that and ability to do 1080p certainly um, allows you, as a developer of performance products, the chance of doing better conversion and you know a more accurate picture. However, I do believe that when you get down to uh, uh, you know, 32-inch televisions, which again the market in the UK traditionally dominates on. You know, unless you're you know three or four feet from the screen, um, then the resolution falls off. So, I believe that for larger screens, uh, no doubt that 1080p technology will be the way ahead. And uh, for small screens, I think we'll um, we'll stick to the the resolutions that are around today. Do you think that CRT's days are numbered? Certainly for Lerva they're numbered. In fact, um, we we produced our last uh, CRT at uh, the beginning of the year and um, we have no roadmap forward for CRT. I mean, there's, there's, there's the strange thing about it is that, um, and it's maybe not today, but certainly, you know, two years, uh, two or three years back there where in the marketplace there was some real high-performance CRT and new technology was coming in. The CRT could certainly deliver, you know, outstanding pictures and fantastic value for money. Uh, however, the, the world moves on, uh, consumers move on, uh, the trade moves on, and um, I don't see CRT having a considerable impact. I just see it having fewer and fewer and fewer unit sales um, and effectively just stopping, you know. Uh, sites like ourselves, the AV Forums, um, do you find that our site is helpful for you as a company in terms of customer feedback and being able to discuss the latest products and so on? I think that, I mean, I mean listen, we, we, we get um, any any place where people gather uh, to discuss um, performance, then we, we are very interested, you know. Um, the, too often, um, there's too much assumption made in, um, in our marketplace. Uh, too often you go in to... Um, retail stores and you see substandard picture quality and poor sound, right? And consumers, our types of consumer, and I'm sure it's the same customers for you, are looking for things that are a bit better and they're looking for the reason why things cost more. And I think if you have a platform like AV Forums where people can go and discuss these things, it's only a good thing. You mentioned before that some of your TVs can um, be shipped with internal uh, HD drives and so on. Yeah. Do you see... PC-based media centres becoming more and more prevalent as as we go on? Yeah, I guess. I said to you, I was in Denver and Syria last week and Hewlett-Packard were making big plays on their, their living networks, which are um, effectively, as you see, your PC-based media centres and uh, which have a, a control layer and put on top of them. Um, I do think they'll play a big future. You can see the announcement last week from um, Apple about then producing an interface device that allows you to stream um, uh, wireless content from your uh, your PC, from your little iTunes directly onto a TV. Um, that that whole thing of consolidation over to the IT and uh, entertainment market is definitely going to uh, is definitely going to play a part. Um, everybody's looking at um, developing. Um, effectively networked homes um, whether it's computer networks and entertainment networks I think they're all going to be linked in some way and I think it's a really exciting time it's an exciting time if, if, if everybody's educated if, however if you um, you get a very capable uh, product portfolio but you've got a very poor delivery medium and what I mean by that is the service infrastructure retailers then, then you could have a problem but I definitely think that uh, networked home entertainment is um, that's coming our way. What new products have you got in the pipeline which you like to, to give us a, a little uh, taste of? Well, we've got some very, very exciting uh, products as well as having uh, individual models. The, the one thing that maybe your, your, your customers should uh, look and identify with over TVs is we, we, we work on a, a common platform strategy and the platform is the electronics platform which is the DSP platform that effectively goes into each and every model. Um, we will be launching our next technology uh, um, issue will be a platform called SL2700 and effectively it starts in January, February in 2007. Um, the first products that will come out with that uh, new engineering chassis on them will be a new range of products called Individual Compose 
which are, are effectively Lover's big kind of um, AV platform going forward. They are a range of uh, LCD panels, uh, 40 inch, 46 inch, and likely further a year bigger screen size than that. They are can be delivered as a as a monitor. Um, so it can be part of a, a, a large external home cinema system. They can be partnered up with the, the new Louva individual sound system, which is an ISA award winner this year for uh, home theatre awards. So um, Louva next year will, will be certainly addressing more and more the integrated EV, it be an integrated EV supplier, as well as a standalone television supplier. So Individual Compose is going to be a fantastic product next year. The L2700 chassis, um, has effectively it's got some great features that um, if you I'm sure if you're in Europe or you've got access to a satellite system would be fantastic uh, in the UK uh, because of the way our models work with the uh, where you have to uh, subscribe and you have to purchase um, external decoders for Sky Telewest uh, BT system maybe less so but the L2700 chassis has got some fantastic it's got uh, MPEG-2 and MPEG-4 decoder built in which means you can um, if it was available you can um, uh, decode uh, HD TV without the need of an external set-top box and the TV comes equipped with a digital terrestrial tuner analog terrestrial tuner and also satellite uh, tuner which again means if you have access to a dish and you can move it, you could point to free, free-to-air uh, HD TV content. The TV will be able to decode that um, without the need of this external decoder. The TV also comes as uh, at the moment when you order a Louvre TV, um, you have to order the point of purchase. You have to decide whether or not you have a hard disk recorder fitted in the TV or not. With the L2700, this will become a, a, an upgrade that can be carried out at the time of sale or indeed after after purchase. So, very flexible platforms using the latest technology, introducing more flexibility into the market and delivering absolutely stunning, outstanding pictures. Like I said earlier on, the, the market um, over the last few years, the, the, the amount of change has been phenomenal. How do you see things um another four years down the line, you know, 2010, I mean, what kind of technology do you think we'll be looking at then? I, th- I think that, I think that, this is my personal view, uh, is that we will see, obviously, um, um, far more of the kind of IPTV type products on the market. Um, I suspect that the models will go to more choice, and there'll be um, more network-based products. In terms of displays, they'll be bigger. Um, but whilst being bigger, they'll be able to deliver uh, uh, fantastic uh, quality. I don't really see. A, a, I think 2012, uh, when the uh, effectively the changeover from um, analog to digital takes place, I believe that, that we have uh, lots of choices to make between uh, now and then about delivering uh, free-to-air HD content. Because I do believe that once the customers see that. Um, then in large numbers they would migrate to those type of services. So I would hope that we will see as we'll see clear a clear roadmap via one platforms to deliver HD content, but in a free to air mode. It's been fascinating talking to you this afternoon, and I just want to thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks very much, Phil. The highest definition. definition. This is the AV podcast. And that's just about all from this week's AV podcast. Don't forget, we now go out weekly and you can subscribe to the podcast either on the AV Forums podcast page or going to iTunes. And we really value your comments on the new AV podcast. You can leave feedback at the avforums.com feedback forum. And why not send us your comments on email? Just email podcast at avforums.com. Or if you'd like to leave us a voice message or comments which we can use within the podcast, then please dial our messaging service on 0208 123 9587. And finally, a reminder on this week's competition to win Party of Five on Region 2 DVD, courtesy of Sony Pictures. Just answer this simple question. Name the actress from Party of Five who starred with Courtney Cox in the movie Scream. Just email the answer, along with your name and address, to podcast at avforums.com. 
The competition closes at midnight on the 12th of October 2006 and full terms and conditions can be found in the podcast forum at avforums.com and we'll announce the winner next week. And that wraps up the 16th AV podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audiovisual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Forums Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.